Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate it very much, my friend. Well, good morning, Chapel family. Ooh, that's good. It's good to see you guys today on this beautiful, sunshiny day. What a week we've had, huh? It's been absolutely gorgeous all week. And I want to start out by, first of all, saying that Jesus is still alive, right? Jesus is still alive. And so last week was absolutely amazing being able to celebrate Easter morning, the resurrection of Christ, but the stone has still been rolled away. The guards have fled, and Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen from the dead, and he is risen indeed. And so we need to keep that in mind as we delve into the Gospel of John, because we're going to be uh, diving in real strong, especially next week. This week, though, we're going to be kind of doing an overview, uh, kind of a broad picture in many ways. But when we think about the Gospel of John, one of the greatest things that we look at with it is when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, one of the most important things that you can then do is get to know him personally, right? You got to get to know him personally. And the way that you do that, we know, is through prayer and it's through reading God's Word. It's through reading God's Word. And we know one of the best books to start with is the Gospel of John. It's the Gospel of John because there's so much about the life of Jesus all encapsulated in the Gospel of John. But as we take this broader picture, we have to ask ourselves some important questions, okay? We have to ask ourselves, first of all, who is John, you know? Who is John? In the year 2023, why are John's words so important to us. Why are they so important? Why, why can we trust them in many ways? Can we trust what John has to say? We know that God's word is living and active, right? It's sharper than any double-edged sword. But for a lot of people that are just kind of picking up the Bible, they may be thinking, wait a second here. Who is this John person? It's a great questions, and we got to back up, we got to dig in, we got to find out, because the reality is most of us, we know maybe some stories in the Bible, right, and very few of us know maybe the story of the Bible, how the Bible really came to be, and how the story of John actually began to occur. I brought with me today something very, very special to me, and this is the very first Bible that I ever received. And I received this Bible when I was five years old. So just a few years ago, okay? So I received this Bible when I was five years old. And I remember thinking, this is great. We've got, we've got Jesus on the cover here holding a beautiful lamb and Jesus on the back with another beautiful lamb. And then you open it up and you've got Jesus with all the children. And I thought, woo, this is, this is great. So I received that when I was five, and I was told, now this is very, very sacred, okay? So you don't, you don't mess with this. This is the Word of God. You don't write in it. You don't use it as a coaster. You definitely don't kill mosquitoes or flies or anything with this because this is the Bible. And in a lot of ways, that was, that was really good for me, you know, when I, was, uh, when I was a kid. But I didn't understand why behind all of this. I grew up, and I never really opened it all that much. 
It wasn't until I was about almost 17 years old that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he became real in my life. And then all of a sudden, I started to begin to dig in to the Bible. I began to, to see some of the truths that are found in Scripture. And I began to grow tremendously in my walk with the Lord. But at the same time, there were still some, some questions that I had. There were still some, some stories that just didn't seem to, to make sense to me, that just didn't seem fully real. And so I was kind of wrestling. Maybe some of you guys have kind of wrestled in your faith. And if there were parts of the Bible that I wasn't sure that I could trust, then I began to think, can I fully trust in the Bible? Let me give you a little bit of history here. The story of the New Testament didn't begin within the beginning. We know that the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, it started out with in the beginning, right? But in many respects, the New Testament actually began with a first century Greek doctor by the name of Luke, okay? So before we examine the Gospel of John, it's important that we look a little bit at some of these verses in the Gospel of Luke. Check this out right here. It says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Huh. See, Luke, he had a wealthy friend by the name of who? Theophilus, right? Theophilus. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have named your kids Theophilus. Probably not a whole lot of Theos out there maybe today. But Theophilus had heard many of the stories of the eyewitness accounts of things regarding Jesus. And through these stories, Theophilus, he placed his trust in Jesus, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He became a disciple then. And he wanted to learn more and more about Jesus and then all the events that surrounded Jesus' life. So he asked Luke, please provide me with an orderly account of everything that has happened. Because there's a whole lot that had just taken place with the crucifixion, with the resurrection. Luke decided to, to then help his friend. So Luke begins to write and he creates this document that would then give order to all these accounts. And we call that the book of Luke. And there's a couple of important things to, to note here about Luke's account of Jesus and the events that surrounded him. Luke begins by saying that many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. That there's lots of people that have written, that have written about the events that have occurred. And Luke says, I'm not the only one documenting these. Many others have attempted to do the same thing. He's also saying, something happened here that is worth documenting. Something tremendous has happened. It's just like, think about this. A lot of you guys have gone on vacations, or maybe you've gone on uh, like special celebrations. You have graduations, you have anniversaries, you have different things that take place. And when those things take place, you love to document. Now, today we don't document as much by writing things down. Some of us do. But many times we document through videos. 
We document through lots of pictures, right? There's lots of ways that we want to document what has taken place in our lives. So here we see the documentation of the greatest thing ever that has taken place. See, Luke was not trying to write the Bible as we know it today. He had no idea that even really a book like that would exist. He was trying to give his friend Theopolis an accurate account of what he had seen and what had happened. Something amazing had happened and it was worth writing down. And so then the New Testament story begins. The moment Jesus, though, was crucified. The moment Jesus was crucified and he died, there was no story at that time. There was really nothing worth writing about at that time. No one believed that he would come back to life. The lifeless body of Jesus was taken off the cross. It was laid in a tomb. His followers, they all scattered. They hid. At that moment, there were no real Jesus followers. There was no church. There was no hope. No hope. No Bible as we know it today. All would soon be forgotten. The story had died when Jesus died. So the story though Theophilus wants to hear and the story that Luke has to share is only valuable. It's only valuable because Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. And he's still alive 2,000 years later. He's still alive. And he wants to be alive in our hearts. He wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants us to be the people that he wants us to be, to mold us more and more into his character. You see, something extraordinary had happened that we just celebrated last week. Something miraculous, something worth telling everyone about, something worth risking their lives to share. And we know that so many of the disciples actually died martyrs' deaths because they understood that this was worth dying for. The greatest miracle of all time had just happened. This man who claimed to be God, he died, but then three days later, the tomb was empty, and many, many people saw the resurrected Jesus. Do you guys realize that when Jesus rose from the grave, and he was on the earth then for 40 days, and he visited with the, the two Marys, and he visited with the disciples. Do you also realize in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, that more than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus as he was alive before he then ascended into heaven? Wow. This is historical. This is miraculous. This is worth living for. In fact, Peter, a disciple of Jesus, said to Caiaphas, the high priest, in Acts 2, 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. We are all witnesses of this. Now, I remember a number of years ago when I would drive into downtown Cleveland, and there was the big, big banner. You guys remember this in Cleveland that said, we are all witnesses. And it had a picture of, of LeBron James. Okay, And whether you like him or you don't like him, I know everybody's different on that. But bottom line, it was saying that we're all witnesses of the greatness of him as a basketball player, right? 
and, and he did tremendous things. We ended up winning an NBA championship. It was, it was awesome. And we were witnesses of that. And as good as that was, that pales in comparison to the fact that we are witnesses for Jesus Christ, that we could be his witnesses, that we can go and tell the great story of the gospel. We can share that from our hearts with everyone that we come in contact with. And that's exactly what Luke was trying to do. And not only Luke, but there were a lot of others as well. So the Jesus movement and the church was birthed. And still no Bible yet as we know it. But the cool thing is Luke knew Peter and Luke knew John and Luke knew James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Luke traveled with Paul. Luke documented the rise of the church in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke admits, he says, I'm not the only one to draw an account of these things. I'm not the only one. So my question, why so many? Why so many people write to cover the same person and same events? After all, it's expensive at that time. There's no printing presses, no computers. There's no typewriters. There's no copy machines. There's no staples to run to for supplies. There's nothing like that. They had to use scribes, too, that were copying each one of the manuscripts after Luke and John and the rest of them wrote them down. A lot of the people even at that time were illiterate. They couldn't even, they couldn't read yet at that time. So why bother? Because something extraordinary happened that was worth documenting. Extraordinary. That's worth documenting. The first four books in the New Testament, we know them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We know that Matthew, first of all, was a tax collector, right? He was the lowest of lows in many ways. No one liked poor Matthew. No one respected him. Yet Jesus asked Matthew to leave his wealth, his rich lifestyle behind and to follow, to follow Jesus. And guess what? His life was changed forever. He left everything behind at once and followed Jesus. And his life was changed. His account specifically is addressed to the Jews. Because of his audience, he brilliantly uses the Old Testament prophecies to prove his account. He wrote his document actually in Hebrew, which would have made sense, especially to the Jewish audience that he was writing to. And then later it was translated into Greek. And then we have what? Mark, right? And although the Gospel of Mark doesn't fully name its author at the time. It's, it's the testimony of the early church fathers that Mark was actually indeed the author. He was an associate of the apostle Peter and was considered Peter's spiritual son in a lot of ways, that Peter was his mentor. And so from Peter, Mark received firsthand information of the events and the teachings of the Lord and preserved them then in the written form. And Mark, I tell you what, Mark's a book of action. If you ever want to See a book of action right there. It's to the point in many ways. And then we have Luke. And we know Luke, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. His account was written for Theophilus and is incredibly detailed, as you might expect, from a doctor. And the great thing that I know about 
different doctor friends that I have is that they're very organized. They're very detailed. Now, writing things down, the penmanship might not be the best, okay? And neither are pastor's penmanships either. But in terms of detailed and organized, woo! Doctors definitely have that down. And Luke did as well as a physician. And then we come to John. We come to John. We're going to spend several weeks, even a few months with John. John, we know, was a fisherman. He was a young man. He was full of passion. He was full of fire. He was full of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm in God, in theos, in the Lord. He was full of that passion. Several times Jesus was recorded needing to actually give John a little bit of correction for his recklessness, for sometimes his aggressiveness. He was known for his passion for the truth, to share the truth, to proclaim the truth. And he fought fervently against any false teaching that was out there. He also was described as the one whom Jesus loved. And we know that Jesus loved all the disciples. We know that Jesus loved everybody, right? But there was something special about John, that John and Jesus had this amazing, special, close relationship. And as he matured, as John matured, it became clear that he learned a very important lesson that we all need to learn. And that is zeal for the truth must always be balanced by love for people. Zeal for the truth must always be balanced by love for people. It's important to know the truth and to realize Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And to stand upon God's word and his truth and to fight for truth. Yes. If we claim to know Christ, we should stand upon his truth. But at the same token, we should do it with so much love and so much grace and how we interact with other people. People should know that we are Christians by what? By our love. Not our criticalness. Not what we always stand against, but what do we stand for? That we stand for the gospel that we desire to love others, that we desire to follow the great commandment of loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, body, strength, and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. That should be indicative of who we are if we claim to follow Jesus Christ. See, John, he was a fighter for truth, but he was so loving, and he was caring, and he was compassionate. He really cared for others. All of these accounts were written because of what they saw. They were written because of what they experienced. They were written because of their life change. They were written because an extraordinary event had occurred. They were written because an extraordinary man who claimed to be God proved it. He proved it by rising from the dead. And now, 2,000 years later, we still celebrate that. And we know that he's still alive. And they were documenting something that was so incredible that they couldn't keep it to themselves. In fact, in John, this is what it says in John 20, 
It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I didn't just write this because I was a little bit bored, okay? I wrote this book so that you may believe. Believe what? I believe in all kinds of things. Believe what? That you would believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah who the Jews have been waiting for for thousands of years. He had arrived, the true Son of God. And here's the amazing thing, too, is if John's account of the life of Jesus is all you have, John's account would be all you would need. There's certain parts of the world where they don't have the entire Bible already translated. You realize that? Even today, there's certain parts of the world. But if you have the Gospel of John, that's the life of Jesus. That's life-giving words that are right there. It's all about Jesus. I would go as far as to say this. If this is the document that you stumble across, it could be enough, enough to learn that something amazing happened, enough to learn about a story of a God who has done something in the world that's extraordinary, and it was on your behalf. It was on my behalf. It was on our behalf that he did that. However, even John admits that he didn't even write down all the things that he witnessed. Isn't that incredible? So as great as the Gospel of John is, and as you begin to read it, and some of you guys have probably already read it like hundreds of times, and that's okay because we can read it again. But as great as it is, it's amazing to stop and think there was still more that he could have written down. You see, he states right here, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. Isn't that amazing? Even though he didn't include everything, it's still enough, though. Still enough. John's book, it's powerful. It's descriptive. It's truthful. It's life-changing. Many times I've done prison ministry over the years, and I cannot tell you how many Men that I've spoken to, that when they get into the gospel of John, their lives have been transformed, totally changed. The life-giving words of Jesus in the gospel of John. Many of us know the famous verse, right? John 3.16. Many of us have learned that. We can recite it. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? We see that verse. I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch a football game, and somebody with a big yellow sign would have John 3.16 in the end zone, right? Still, they still do it. It's actual ministry. Basketball games, football, baseball games, it's incredible. Why, why do that? Because that verse is the essence of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the essence. And a lot of times I like to say, for God so loved Dave. For God so loved Jim. For God so loved each and every one of us, right? Everyone that's in the world. That Jesus is for everyone, not just somebody that's a certain demographic or a certain type of person. No, 
that Jesus is for everyone. And we need to constantly be willing to share that with other people. John knew the story must be told, but yet we still didn't have a Bible at this time. The four documents began circulating amongst the people until the year A.D. 303, A.D. 303. But then this guy named Emperor Diocletian, oh man, he was a bad guy. He was well known for his hatred towards Christians, and sadly, what he did was he began Rome's longest and bloodiest persecution of Christians. One historian actually wrote this. He actually wrote, during this nine-year reign of terror, Christians were hunted, stripped of their rights, brutalized, and killed. Under his reign, all Christian churches were destroyed. All Christian texts, any types of, of documents were being destroyed. They were being burned under his reign, Christians were not permitted to even meet together. What we're doing today would not be allowed whatsoever during his reign. And if people were found in possession of any of the Christian documents, oh boy, they could actually be sentenced to death. But still, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the other writings, they were hidden within homes. They were still read in secret. And you might think, why? Why risk your life for such a document? Because they knew there was life through Jesus Christ. And they knew that they needed to preserve these documents. They knew that they needed to study them, that these were sacred, that they were inspired. Just imagine possessing one piece of these documents. Just a piece. Say a friend had a part of Matthew and another friend had part of Luke and someone actually had the entire book of John. Wow, can you imagine that? Family and friends gathered in the quietness of the night. They gathered by candlelight. They would pull out whatever piece they had gotten their hands on. They would read it. And the pieces of Scripture were worth dying for. I saw something similar to that when I was in the country of the Ukraine. And when I was in Ukraine in the 1990s, it was shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union. And we were so excited to go. And I was a young man at the time, and I was just so full of just enthusiasm for the Lord. I just thought, like, I want to go. I want to I pass out Bibles. I want to share the gospel. And I'll never forget that we, we landed in Kiev, and we went to Ivano-Frankivsk, in the city, Ivano-Frankivsk, and we're there, and we're, we're sharing the gospel with people, and we're seeing hundreds come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, people hearing the gospel for the very first time because the country had been closed for decades. And this one man comes up to me, and he's got tears in his eyes. And I give him a Bible, and then the tears just start flowing he had just accepted Christ. I give him the Bible, and he gives me the biggest hug. I'm talking one of those big old bear hugs. I love hugs like that. So just, I mean, I'm like shaking. He just hugged me so hard. And he wouldn't let go. It was like a five-minute hug. And he just kept saying one word over and over and over again. He would say, Diakayu! 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 Which meant thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He was so thankful that he finally had a Bible in his own 
language that he could begin to read. It was beautiful. That's why what's happening now just grieves my heart. That's why I cry all the time when I watch the news because I think of people in the Ukraine that I met years ago, some of whom that are just experiencing such pain and their freedoms trying to be taken away. As great as the story was, it pales in comparison though to the documents possessed by the early Christians See, 270 years before the Bible, as we know it, was assembled, before those four books were considered to be inspired words of God, something then incredible happened. In the year 324, Constantine became the emperor. And Constantine, the Lord used him to change everything. He became very sympathetic to the Christians. He canceled all the horrific laws that were set in place by Diocletian. He allowed Christians to gather, to worship freely, and to possess Christian texts without fear. Christian scholars, for the first time, they were able to work together in the open. They began to bring these collection of documents together. They assembled them into what we now call the New Testament. This was all changing. It was all happening in 324. Scholars, for the first time, were able to work together like this. Can you imagine the excitement as we had the four Gospels, and then we had Paul's letters, we had James's letter, who was the brother of Jesus, you had Luke's follow-up letter of the book of Acts, all of that coming together. And yet, even if, even if somehow history would have been different and documents couldn't have been saved, Still, John, the Gospel of John is all we need. His account is not about what he had read or heard. It's about what he witnessed. It's about what he experienced. It's about a God whose love is so great, so great that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us and to rise again so that we would not have an empty life. Just like Pastor Eric did a great job last week of talking about the empty tomb means that we don't have to live an empty life, that we can have life full of meaning and purpose and joy. So here it is, the Gospel of John. Its contents hold a story of life change, a story worth dying for, a story of a God whose love for you is so great that you are worth dying for. And our challenge today is pretty simple, really. It's just two basic things. We're going to read the Gospel of John together. It's awesome to be able to read a book of the Bible together. So as a pastoral team, we said, let's, let's, let's read the Gospel of John together. One of the things that you can do is actually get the Dwell app. If you don't have it yet, I highly recommend it. You can download that. We'll then send you an email that I have a whole reading plan about the Gospel of John. So you can go ahead with that. And then the second thing is pretty simple, too. Come back next week with your Bible. Open it up. We're going to go chapter by chapter by chapter. We're going to have a great time just digging in together. If you don't have your own Bible, we've got one out there for you. So please just get one as you're, as you're leaving. But that's so important to be able to have your own Bible and to be able to read it. And then let's do it together. Okay. And even if you've read John 57 times, that's okay. Let's do it together. And maybe there will be some new things that the Holy Spirit We'll, we'll teach you 
as we delve into this together. Amen? All right, let's pray. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, we just love you so much. We're so thankful, so thankful for your word, for the truths that they contain, for the life change that your word possesses. Thankful, dear God, that we could study the gospel of John in these weeks to come, dear God. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, help us to grow in our faith in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.